This is episode 69 of The Popcast. Welcome to The Popcast, a weekly podcast all about pop culture in three regular segments. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Popcast. This week, I am joined by another co-host because Maureen is out of town at a wedding this weekend. So I am recording with frequent contributor to The Popcast, co-founder of the Vernacular Podcast Network, good friend of mine, Zach Crippen. Zach, how are you? I'm doing great, Josh. We have not podcasted together since your beloved Washington Nationals won the World Series last week. So a belated, I mean, I know we've been in touch obviously since then, and we were texting all that night, but officially on the record, a belated congratulations from me. Yes, thank you very much. I am uh, beyond thrilled. It was uh, very exciting. And, you know, Peter and I did a an emergency pod on the lineup, the one of the other vernacular podcasts where we just broke down the game and we talked all about it. So if you're interested in hearing my initial thoughts, I recorded that at one in the morning after the Nationals won the World Series about an hour earlier than that. If you're interested in all my thoughts, definitely go check that out. Uh, you can check out the lineup feed on the vernacular podcast network. But yes, it was very exciting. I know Zach, you as a Philadelphia fan have had many championships to celebrate in the last decade or so, so you know what it's like. I I do, and uh, I miss it because the Phillies' last championship was over a decade ago now, and they had high expectations this year, obviously did not fulfill those, but I'm happy for you. I I really enjoyed listening to that episode of the lineup that you did with Pete. Um, I obviously chose to go to bed and not join you guys, but I was listening to it during my workout the next day and was just smiling ear to ear as I listened to two of my best friends talk about how wonderful it was to have their team win a championship. So I'm just, I'm so happy for you guys. It's Look, great. Zach, you said two things there that I want to point out. One, that you went to bed at a normal time, smart. And the other, that you worked out the next day, also smart. I can't say either of those things for the, the <laughs> night of or the day after, but you know, I'll give myself a pass because uh, you get was, a free pass. It was Absolutely. the first, it was the first uh, world series in nationals history and I will not soon forget it. Zach, let me ask you a question here because a couple weeks ago, Maureen and I did our podcast where we did a candy bracket where we went, uh, we had 16 candies enter, one came out on top. I wanted to get your opinion. Do you have a favorite candy? It's a great question. I think I would have to go with plain, pure dark chocolate. Wow. Okay. I'm a chocolate purist. Okay. So get all that fruit out of there. Yeah, exactly. So the candies that were non-chocolate in your bracket. I'm an immediate pass on those. Anything chocolate beats anything non-chocolate. Okay. And then after that, basically the more the more pure, the better. And by pure, I mean the more chocolate is that is in that thing, and the more pure the chocolate actually is. So I mean, within reason, I, I would not yeah, prefer not ninety nine percent pure cacao. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not my my speed. Okay, but, got it. You know, got seventy it. to eighty percent dark chocolate. That's where I am. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I do love I do love a good dark chocolate. Do you have a particular brand that you like? That is a good question. Um, I probably like Ghirardelli or yeah. Ghirardelli. I don't even yeah, know how yeah. to pronounce it, but you know, I, it's one of those words that you always read but never hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that one probably is really good. I know you're a big Trader Joe's fan. Do they have a dark chocolate? They do have a dark chocolate. I like their dark chocolate. I would say it's not quite as good as the Ghirardelli chips that we, the chocolate chips that we got get it. and use in cookies. Oh yeah, got it, got it, got it. And speaking of Trader Joe's, we're almost upon the holiday season, which means one of your favorites is coming back, hopefully. Many of my favorites actually, but um, one of them is actually already back, Hot Cocoa O's, the oh, yeah. breakfast mm-hmm. cereal that is the 
the cocoa Cheerios with little marshmallow bits, delicious. And we've already been stocking up on it. My, my girls love it as well. So that's a, that's a family favorite already in the Crippen household. Yeah. Because they, they get rid of it at a certain point, right? It's only seasonal. Exactly. Yeah. They, so they brought it in, I think mid October or so, and it'll disappear off the shelves, I think January. So if if you, uh, if you want to go grab it, you better stock up now. Do you, do you guys shop at Trader Joe's? Yeah, we do. We do some, it's not our primary place that we shop, but we do go there sometimes. So we will definitely get a box or two or 10. Who knows? We'll see. There you go. Well, I, the uh, a few weeks ago on Vernacular, Sally and I did a um, a lightning round. I gave her a lightning round where I was giving her all the pumpkin flavor things at Trader Joe's. And there was an expansive list of pumpkin things at Trader Joe's. They're really good at doing the seasonal thing and cycling things in and off their shelves. So it's a lot of fun to go there. And uh, I won't talk any more about that because listeners of Vernacular know exactly how much Sally and I love Trader Joe's. Yes, absolutely. All right, Zach, we're going to do an abbreviated snack bag and then... The main reason you're here is because of our premier topic this week, but I figured we have you on the podcast, so we'll do a quick snack bag, a premier topic, and then we'll end, as we always do, on the Pops cast with teasers. So for the snack bag, there's just one story that I saw circulating last week that I want to talk about, and that is that James Dean, the actor who died many, many years ago, he was only in three movies. But, but sort of became this poster child for the rebellious teen. He died when he was 24. He is going to be brought back for a new movie, and he will be entirely CGI. And so, you know, he died in 1955. Now he's coming back, you know, years and years later. What, what do you make of this? Because they've, they've tried this technology before. Zach and I were talking before we started recording that in the Star Wars film Rogue One, they brought back an actor who had died, who was in the original Star Wars A New Hope, the actor who played Grand Moff Tarkin, and he was entirely CGI in that movie. And I think it was met with mixed results because when I saw it, you know, I knew that he was CGI. And so I was a little taken aback. It was a little bit hard to believe that the person was real. And I've watched a lot of videos and sort of analysis of people trying to replicate the human face with computer graphics. And the hardest thing to do is to make it look like the person is real when they're talking, because there's something about the way that the muscles in our face work that is just really hard to replicate with computer graphics. So all of that said, Zach, what do you make of this news? They're going to try to bring back this, you know, beloved actor who's been this this poster child. He's in lots of college dorm rooms on posters. What do you make of the idea and and sort of generally this idea of bringing back actors after they've passed away, regardless of whether the family gives permission? And in this case, it seems like they did. But what do you make of this? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. And you sort of hinted at the end there about the the various questions involved. I think one is, what do I make of the specific James Dean case? And the second is, what do I make of the use of completely CGI characters for the actors or actresses themselves who are in absentia? And I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but I do think it's an interesting discussion to have. And I think there is, I guess I'll just say a couple things. I think there's a qualitative difference between, for example, using the likeness of Carrie Fisher in Star Wars mm-hmm. to to put her into a small part of the storyline right after she passes away in a movie in which she was already cast. So she was clearly, she had, you know, by agreeing to be cast in this movie and reviewing the script and everything, she had given implicit permission sure. to use her likeness in that film. 
There's a difference between that and then something like this, where James Dean passed away a long time ago, right? And you're, 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 yes, it's true that his estate has given permission to use his likeness, but what does that mean for the estate to give you permission to use your likeness? Does, does that really right. mean anything in any sort of like philosophical or autonomy sense? Uh, I would argue no. And again, I mean, if you're bringing this person back for a sort of leading role or starring role in a movie and making it completely CGI, that's a little bit, a little bit disconcerting, I think, because he's been dead for so long, cannot possibly have given permission to use his likeness. And you're going to potentially be leaving people with the impression that the actor James Dean wanted to be in this show and show or this movie and chose to be in this movie, etc. Um, and that just simply isn't the case. So I think there's that that aspect of it. It also kind of reminds me of this um, this deep fakes scandal oh, yeah. or issue that arose earlier in, earlier this year. Uh, basically where, you know, there, there's good machine learning technology out there that can make someone look like they are in a situation that they are not actually in. And you can, you know, use your imagination to you to, to think of how exactly this could be misused and, and a design to make people look like they're, they're doing things that, that they should not be doing. Um, and this I think is similar to that. It raises at least Maybe it's not as extreme as the deepfakes example, or at least it doesn't get as sorted as that one can. But I think it still raises very interesting questions about autonomy and giving permission to use your likeness. And I think, you know, th to me, there's no obvious reason why this production company needs to use James Dean's likeness rather than using someone else. And in absent that compelling reason, I think there's not enough there to say, go ahead and do it. Yeah, I did. I did read this one thing where, you know, the production company had come out and said that th there was no other person who could play this role. It had to be James Dean. And someone tweeted in response to that. Wow, you couldn't find another straight white guy to play a part. There, there are lots of white actors in Hollywood out there. So if you really needed someone there, there had to be someone who could play this role. It's not as if there's anything incredibly distinctive about James Dean's sure. acting performances. He's not like James Earl Jones, for example. Sure. I mean, if the production company was like, this has to be James Earl Jones because he, he only he has that voice. Right. Then I would be a little more sympathetic to the argument. I don't I wouldn't agree with it, but I would at least understand where they're coming from, I think. Right. I, I totally get that. And I, I think your point about the, the philosophical issue is probably the, the more important one to have here. But I do think you can't ignore also the fact of like technologically, I don't think we're there yet. Like yeah, looking sure. at the examples we have, you know, the, the, this whole like de-aging thing has, has been a big thing in the, the movie Captain Marvel. They de-aged Samuel L. Jackson and that's a whole nother technology, but it's sort of related. And then for the Irishman, the Martin Scorsese film that's coming out soon, they're, they're using a whole slew of de-aging techniques for that. You know, so it's all in the same wheelhouse of visual effects. And I just don't think it's quite there yet. And also, what are they going to do about his voice? Like, are they just going to pull clips of him speaking and try to emulate that? Or are they going to have an actor try to replicate or imitate his voice? That'll be interesting as well. Now, I don't know. Have they talked about, are they going to have a stand-in and then sort of CGI after the fact for the stand-in? Or will they completely CGI the role? I haven't read that, but I, I would assume it's it's the former. So I think they'll have someone stand in who's about the same build, the same height as he was. And then they will CGI the face after yeah. that because that makes the most sense in terms of capturing as much reality as possible and then trying to just cgi what is necessary there so that makes sense you know 
I'm interested to see if this actually moves forward after all the backlash that this has gotten. But um, you know, if it if it does, I'll be interested to see how they how they do it. Zach, moving on to our next snack bag topic. This is not uh, a full topic, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I've talked a couple times on the podcast in the last couple weeks about these comments that Martin Scorsese made about Marvel films and then how Francis Ford Coppola had sort of doubled down and said, you know, Scorsese didn't call them despicable and I do believe they're despicable. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts because you and I have chatted a couple times on this podcast about Marvel films and how we we enjoy them, we like them, they we think that they have merit. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on his comments. Yeah, remind me exactly what Scorsese said about them. I remember seeing the articles a few weeks ago when he did. Right. So basically, Martin Scorsese came out and said, in response to, have you seen the Marvel films? He said, I tried to watch them. They're not for me. They're not cinema. So he essentially said, look, they're not doing anything new. They're not breaking any new ground. They're not emotionally captivating. And so... Not only did he say that once, he is like since doubled down in several interviews after that, trying to clarify what he thought, only in my view, digging a deeper grave here. Yeah, I mean, to your point about the deeper grave, I would be hesitant to say that only because I think you mentioned Scorsese does have his movie, The Irishman, coming out. Sure, sure. This this is kind of a PR thing for him, I think. Yeah, that's fair. You no, know, he's like, I, I'm one of the last of the great directors. Marvel movies are not cinema. By the way, I have a three-hour movie coming out yeah. that you should all watch. Exactly. <laughs> so, three and a half hours. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. So I think that might be maybe part of the the approach here. Um, on his comments more broadly, are you asking if I if I agree with them? Yeah, or I'm just, just curious what what your reaction to it is. Like, do you see merit in what he says, or is it just simply a matter of this guy has an opinion and this is what it is, and that's okay? Yeah, I think there's I think there's an element of both of those. Uh, so yes, it's definitely his opinion. I think. He, as one of the greatest filmmakers of our time, he's definitely entitled to that opinion. I think there has and there has been and always will be disagreement between artists about the artistic merits of various projects. And the fact that he doesn't see artistic merit in the various Marvel projects, I think is is totally fine. Um, on the point about whether or not he has a point, I would say absolutely unqualifiedly yes. And I don't necessarily wholesale agree with him but I do agree with the sentiment, and it's not even that I that I don't in, that, that I don't enjoy the Marvel movies because, as you mentioned, and as we've talked about before on this podcast, I really enjoy the Marvel movies, and they're they're a lot of fun. I've seen all of them, and I've enjoyed all of them, some some more or less than others. But they are not the same thing as, for example, watching a true work of cinema, like I don't know, um, No Country for Old Men. Um, there is a there's a subtleness and an artistry to good cinema that you just simply won't get through a Marvel movie. And that's in part because of the medium, but it's, it's really more, more because of the, the, the storylines themselves. They're just, they're so big, they're so grand and that grandiosity loses nuance in a way that a film that's much more intimate and less reliant on special effects can, can enable. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I just, I, I, for some reason, I just feel like, it's really this this is the whole idea of like why we have why do we have award shows because it's really hard to compare movies like this so you, you look at something like avengers endgame which is one of the biggest movies of all time it is the biggest movie in terms of box office of all time it, it's impossible to compare that to something small and intimate and yet in all of these award shows and all of these conversations and everything like that we are comparing them i do think yeah. that there's merit in both i think that there are good things about both and for me, I can't say that something that is 
big and loud and full of special effects isn't cinema because to me, that's kind of what the movies are made for. You know, think about when when the first motion picture came out and I think one of the first motion pictures that was ever shown in a theater was this image of a train and it was it started coming towards the audience and the audience started freaking out because they were like oh, wow. there's a train coming towards us they didn't it's coming they didn't yeah. understand that and so i think that these big cg movies like the marvel movies are just an ex- an extension of that this idea that you're bringing something to life that is not truly life and so to me that 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 makes those movies you know eligible to be considered cinema now whether you like them or not is is a matter of opinion but i think it's hard to say that they don't have as much value as for example scorsese's film the departed which is a good movie it's well done it has a lot of nuance to it but minus the rat at the end maybe right exactly but it doesn't to <laughs> me at least in my opinion it doesn't make one or the other better or worse so i think that that's where i sort of think that his argument doesn't hold a lot of weight yeah i mean i've got a very a very crude analogy and um i would love to hear listeners feedback on this but i i am going to say this is a crude analogy and it is an extreme analogy and i recognize that but you know imagine um imagine mozart coming to the 1960s and listening to the beach boys yeah he would say that's not music right now does is he right in saying that's not music no i mean of course what the beach boys make is music is, does he have a point in saying that that is not using the sort of full range of complexity that music can employ? It, does that have the same level of sophistication or artistry that my music does, you know, my, my Requiem in D minor or whatever? I mean, yes, you, he'd be correct in saying that too. So again, that's an extreme analogy. I'm not saying Scorsese is Mozart and the Marvel cinema is akin to Beach Boys. But in that sense, I think Scorsese might here have a point. Yeah, no, that's a good analogy. I don't think it's as crude as you even think it is. I think it's pretty it's pretty apt. And I think what you're saying is Martin Scorsese is as old as Mozart. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, Zach, should we move on to the premiere topic today? Let's do it. I'm pumped. Okay, so we are talking about Silicon Valley. And the reason this came up as a premiere topic is because Zach and I were chatting via text and he was mentioning that he really loved Silicon Valley and it's a show I've watched for years now. And so we thought it might make a good topic because we are currently in the sixth and final season of the show. So just a little background for those of you who might not be familiar with the show. This is one of HBO's most popular comedies, probably along with Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Flight of the Concords, and now maybe Barry, if it maintains its current hot streak. The show's basic premise is that it follows five guys as they try to launch a startup called Pied Piper in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is the cradle of innovation. Your compression algorithm blew our engineering team away. We have the resources to take what you have done to the global level. I'm prepared to give you $200,000. 600000 for 10% of your company. $10 million. We had a guy in here in almost the exact same situation. Take the money or keep the company. He shot himself because he turned down the money? Yeah. Or no, no he took the money. Oh, no. I, no, he did not. I don't, you know what? I don't remember. But whatever it was, he regretted it so much that he ended up shooting himself, and now he's blind. It was created by Mike Judge, John Altshuler, Dave Krinsky, and it premiered in 2014. As I mentioned, the sixth and final season kicked off just a few weeks ago, and we are now barreling toward the end game. The show has been nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Emmys for each of its current five seasons, as well as a slew of other awards, and it will likely be nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series next year at the Emmys. So, Zach, the first question is, 
What do you think the overall impact of this show is, especially in the comedy realm? And I know that you mentioned to me you'd been rewatching some of the show or, or all of it, so I think you have a, a different perspective here. I've only watched it through once. I've watched a couple episodes more than once, but I'm curious as to your perspective. One of the reasons I love this show, and I, I really do like this show, I think I told you the other day, this is, in my mind, the third best show ever made behind Breaking Bad at number one and The Office at number two. Now, of course, you know, it's apples to oranges comparing this to Breaking Bad. Um, it's probably more apt to say that this is, in my view, the number two TV comedy ever made behind The Office. Sure. Because comparing comedy and drama is so difficult. But um, I would say that, you know, The Office is a good snapshot of a recurrent theme in many of our lives. And that's the life of The Office. This Silicon Valley, on the other hand, is not necessarily a snapshot of life that's so common to many of us, but life that is common to people in the geographic region of the Bay Area, and more particularly people who are in the tech sector. And I've been, you know, I've sort of touched various parts of that in my own professional life and have people who are, have friends who are in that sector. Um, but more, I guess, more directly, I've just been sort of an avid consumer of tech and startup news. And I find the show to be a very effective satire of all things tech, all things startup. And that is sort of, if you can capture the zeitgeist of our generation of the last decade or so, it's been exactly that, you know, capturing onto this meteoric rise of companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon and watching them go from five employees in a garage to 5,000 spread across the world. Um, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of questions about our existence there, but there's also a lot of ridiculousness that comes out of Silicon Valley through all of these companies. And Silicon Valley, the show, I think manages to handle all these in a brilliant comedic fashion, poking fun at literally every aspect of Bay Area living, and lifestyles and work. And so for that reason, I think it's just it's just absolutely brilliant in what it's in what it satirizes and how it does so. I think one of the interesting things about the fact that it's a satire is that even in the sixth season, we still haven't had any characters who live and work in Silicon Valley who are like truly happy. And it's interesting that their pursuit of of, you know, a great company or money, none of it makes them happy. And it, I don't know what that says about the tech industry as a whole. If that was, you know, Mike Judge's goal when he created the show was to sort of show that Silicon Valley is not going to make you happy and living there and trying to make it there is not going to make you happy. I don't know how the show will end. We, we're not there yet, but I anticipate that we're not going to see Richard Hendricks, the main character played by Thomas Middleditch. I don't I don't anticipate we'll see him with a happy ending. No, I, I think that's right. I think even the EPs have promised an appropriate ending for the show. Yeah. And if you're familiar with the show, an appropriate ending, I think, would basically be starting all over at square one again because of yet another problem that that knocks them down from climbing the ladder to the bottom of the ladder. Right. Um, so I think you're definitely right, Josh. We don't have any good resolution coming. But I, I have to think that, that the showrunners intentionally built that satire around the point that you mentioned that nobody is happy in Silicon Valley. They're all climbing the ladder to nowhere and no, no amount of money or success will ever make these people happy. So that's, that's one insight. And there are just so many other things that it satirizes from, I don't know, you know, frozen yogurt and yoga obsessions to um, like self care and uh, Eastern practices, you know, Steve jobs, for example, 
credited a lot of his creativity to a stint in India, studying with some masters of Eastern thought. And there are characters in this show who go off to Nepal to try to find inspiration from a from Buddhist monks at a monastery. Uh, one stays there uh, sort of indefinitely and leaves the show that way. So uh, th- there are just so many so many different things that it satirizes. And in the sixth season, it's the question of sort of too big to fail and collecting user data and things like that. So that's a very timely question for our our Facebook uh, age as well. Yeah. What do you make of the the Gavin Belson as a stand-in. So he's the he's the CEO in the show of this company called Hooli. And I, I guess- Which what, is basically Google, yeah, right? Yeah, what I guess we're meant to believe is that it's Google, Amazon, it's sort of all these big tech companies, probably most mostly Google. Although now in the latest season, they are referencing Google. So I yeah. guess they exist. Yeah, and they do that, they do that earlier as well. Okay. Obviously they couldn't, they couldn't make the show the show central company be Google. Right. Uh, they'd face all sorts of defamation issues, sure, I think. Sure. Um, but yeah, Huli, I mean, everything that it does, you know, search and advertising is Google, essentially. Yeah, so I guess we're supposed to make, you know, Gavin Belson is supposed to be a stand-in for the Steve Jobs, the Jeff Bezos, you know, all of these these main CEOs that we see out there. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also, I also love the show. You know, for me, it's not, it's not, the funniest show that I've watched, but I definitely do enjoy it. And I think to your point about it showcasing an aspect of American life that people might not be familiar with, one of my other favorite comedies that has ever been released is Scrubs. And I think that that one does a really nice job of sort of showing you the the life of people in the medical field. And from what I've read about that show, people in medicine say that it's one of the most accurate shows based on, you know, the, both the medical side of it, as well as the sort of lightheartedness you can have when you're at work. So I think that shows that are particularly successful when they're looking at real life situations in a comedic sense are ones that really do skew towards reality in terms of portraying them as accurately as possible. Totally agree. So I want to shift a little bit here and talk about, do you have a favorite scene or episode from the series? Now we've had, I think, more than 50 episodes at this point. So there's a lot to choose from. I'm curious to see what you have here. I will say to kick this off that my favorite episode is the season finale of the first season. And there's one scene in particular in that episode that I won't get into here on the podcast because this is a family-friendly podcast. And... What I will say about the scene and the episode as a whole is that for me, it's pretty perfectly both comedically and in driving the plot forward meaningfully. And it's just one of those scenes that when you see it, you'll know it. So I'm not going to describe it any in further detail here, but it is a pretty great scene. Zach, do you have a favorite scene or episode? That's a great question. I think so. One thing I love about this this uh, show, as we already discussed a little bit, but it's, it's very good at taking the tech ideas that are sort of in vogue at the time and wrapping them into the show. So for example, in season five, I think it is, there are a couple of episodes that deal with the advance of artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. because that's been, that's been a buzzword over the last 24 months or so in Silicon Valley. It also tackles blockchain and cryptocurrency. And so there is an episode, I think it's the last episode of the fifth season um, in which they, uh, they decide to try to raise money rather than doing a traditional series B round, which is uh, essentially your sort of your second large capital round where you're trying to get a cash infusion from investors in return for equity in your company. So rather than doing a traditional B series round, they opt to try to raise money through an initial coin offering and starting their own cryptocurrency. And uh, 
It does not go well. I'll just say that. <laughs> but this whole episode satirizes so much of the cryptocurrency mania that we really saw peaking around the end of 2017, um, early 2018. So I really like that one as well. It just it captures so much of the the zeitgeist uh, while also highlighting the comedic nature of the show. Zach, do you have a favorite character on the show? There's lots of great characters, but do you have a favorite? Oh man, I, I was really thinking about this question, Josh, because I knew you were going to ask, and I. Th- I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. I think I'd have to I'd have to give you three that I think are really, really good. Okay. The one is Donald or Jared Dunn. His real name is Donald, <laughs> but everyone calls him Jared and it just sort of sticks. Yeah, Jared Jared's great. Yeah, he's played by uh Zach Woods. And he's also Gabe in the office, if you've seen the office. So uh kind of a, a gangly, lanky figure who's very awkward. And his figure is just it's he's hilarious in a very dry way. And he always has these little side comments. His background is very ambiguous. You don't know exactly what it is, but we think he was raised in foster care. He's had a terrible home life and is always making comments about you know his sort of emotional scarring from that. Um, he's spent some time you know, working the streets and in sort of maybe some sordid capacities. It's not clear, but um, he's also a really brilliant business mind and is actually the only reason why the company ever stays afloat at all. Uh, I also really like Gavin Belson, who's played by Matt Ross. This is the guy you mentioned, Josh, the CEO of Hooli. Um, just a perfect, I think, a perfect encapsulation of the sort of common caricature of a Silicon Valley tech leader. You know, he has a a personal guru follow him around all the time to give him spiritual insight. Um, all of his company calls are completely narcissistic <laughs> and all about himself. Oh, man, he, they're he so good. He thinks of himself as the world's greatest gift and, you know, the greatest engineering mind ever. But he um, he, he just he spends money like crazy and um, and chases all of these moonshots ill-advisedly. Uh, and then the final one, um, Ehrlich Bachman, played by T.J. Miller. Um, he's really he was really annoying to me when I first watched the first season or two. But on a rewatch, I think he, he, he the comedic value of that character is just fantastic and i laugh almost every time he opens his mouth zach should we talk about aviato aviato yes <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, the character Ehrlich's first company that he sold and that's why he has any money at all he owns a house that he has an incubator where he basically that's how our main characters get started they live in this house and they come up with this idea he basically gives room and board to guys in exchange for 10 percent of their company right exactly and just to give you uh, this was one of my favorite lines from this current season about the character of jared but these main characters are probably like what mid mid to late 30s i think that's what we're supposed to believe that they are yeah and and the character of jared is so sincere in everything that he does and he really cares about richard the main character and he really cares about the company and and Richard is is sort of berating him for something and and for missing something or for not for dropping the ball or whatever the case may be. And Jared sincerely turns to him and he said, Richard, I don't know why you're mad. I missed my godson's 40th birthday for this. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just one of those things where you're like, we don't know much about his background, but it's like, exactly. how did this guy who's not even 40 have a 40 year old godson? Like that that's the kind of great stuff that comes out of the show yeah it's and all of jared's lines are like that yeah. they're just like wait what what did you just say hold on let me process that for a minute exactly so i think my favorite character on the show i also can't just give one but i'm going to give two others that really work together as a pair and that is Gilfoyle and dinesh played by martin Starr and kumail nanjiani they just have a really good banter back and forth and martin Starr has been in a lot of judd apatow movies he was in freaks and geeks way back in the day 
And the way that he acts in this in this show is he's totally deadpan the entire time. And and so that, you know, has a lot of comedy that comes out of that. And he has a really great back and forth with this character, Dinesh, played by Kumail Nanjiani. And they just have a really good banter back and forth. So I enjoy their interactions a lot. Okay, Zach, let's talk about do you have any least favorite aspects of the show? Anything that stands out to you? And we can sort of loop this into the last question, which is nitpicks. Any nitpicks you have with the show? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you already hinted at this a little bit, but this is a family-friendly podcast, so I won't give specific examples here. But this show does get a little raunchy sometimes. Yeah. And unnecessarily so. Now, I do think there's some, you know, I think there's some value in sort of highlighting the, the frat boy nature of a lot of Silicon Valley. Um, it is a lot of young tech guys who are interested in all of the wrong things. And I think that does need to be satirized in a way. Um, but I think I think it could be done in a slightly less offensive way in, in many instances. And so this show does, um, you know, this show goes a little bit too far with some of its jokes. And I think they, they would benefit from scaling back. Now, this is HBO. I know HBO, uh, that's not really their MO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're going to go, they're going to go all the way out there. This is pretty clearly not a show made for network television. Right. But I think it would be better if it was a little bit more tame, more akin perhaps to The Office, for example, which was a network television show. Sure. I think maybe even more than that, not just tamer, but more nuanced, because I think a lot of the times you can get funnier jokes when you are more nuanced. So you don't have to go quite as far sometimes to make funny points if you're a little if you're right. a little bit smarter and a little more, more nuanced. I think that my least favorite aspects of the show, there are two characters on the show that I really don't like. And one of them is Jen Yang, and the other one is a character named Big Head. And the character of Jin Yang, I don't like because he's an Asian character and he's completely stereotypical. Now, I don't know if this was done on purpose to satirize a certain aspect of Silicon Valley. I don't know enough about that world, but even still, I can imagine that you know, people, Asian Americans watching the show are not particularly pleased that the only Asian representation is essentially a, a, a stereotype of, of their culture. So I don't love that. It seems a little bit lazy to me in terms of like the way the show was put together. The other character that I mentioned is Big Head. This is a character that had more to do in the first two seasons and then has just had almost nothing to do like the last couple of seasons. And yet they keep bringing him out to do I don't know what. So I'm kind of like over that. But I think my least favorite aspect of the show, and this is probably true with most comedies, is that characters in comedies usually take one step forward and then two steps back. So Zach, you mentioned this, that pretty much at the end of every season, almost on cue, our characters have advanced to a certain point and then something gets in their way and they sort of fall back to square one. And I do like that there's growth, but the growth is in this show in particular, and I don't know why for me that this stands out as one of those shows that does this more, but the growth is almost entirely negated by the end of each season. So I think you had this in The Office a little bit, but for me, that show, each character had growth beyond the individual seasons. So you saw the growth of, for example, Jim and Pam's relationship. It didn't just go a place and then come back to the ground and then go a place and come back to the ground. They eventually like got together at a certain point and they, they were able to make that work. Silicon Valley, on the other hand, feels like the characters are not really advancing or maybe they're not advancing in a way that's satisfying to an audience because I guess technically the company of Pied Piper that is the main company that the show focuses on is advancing, but for some reason it doesn't, it feels a little hollow to me and maybe that's the point, but, but that's always been a little bit 
of a thing where like when I'll binge watch some of the show, I'm like excited for the characters to grow. And then all of a sudden they're like back to nothing. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very acute observation, but I also think it's what you said. I think it is intentional because I think what this is saying to us is that this is a hamster wheel and these guys are running as fast as they can and going at the end of the day, nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. So Zach, last thing, recommend this show to someone who's never watched it or no. Oh, absolutely recommend. I think this is going to be more appreciated if you are, you know, if you at least have a passing interest in Silicon Valley and the companies that are creating products in Silicon Valley. If you have no interest in tech, it's not really going to be your show. So my wife, for example, not really interested in this show. My brother, who is interested in tech, loves this show as much as I do. So I would definitely recommend, I will just give the the uh, the standard disclaimer that it does have some, some raunchy uh, portions. And like I said, I wish that that was not the case, but it is HBO. So this is sort of what you come to expect. Sure. Yeah, I definitely recommend it as well. But just know going in that that it is adult content and and uh, not for everybody. So if you're interested in the in the subject matter, it is funny. You will be laughing and I think you'll enjoy it. All right, Zach, last thing to wrap up this podcast, we're going to do our teasers. I think this is the first time you've been on the podcast where you get to give a teaser. I know. I'm so excited. You you told me this ahead of time and I was like, oh, I've got to got to make it good. Hopefully I have a good one. OK, so I'll let you go first. It could be anything that you recommend, something you've watched or something you're looking forward to. So give me what you got. All right. Well, I just mentioned that I've been for many years very interested in tech things. And one of the things that's come out of Silicon Valley has been the rise of the streaming revolution and cord cutting. So the age of network television is out, which is why, for example, Silicon Valley is not on network TV. And the age of streaming is in, which is why I watch Silicon Valley on my HBO Now subscription. And why almost everyone, probably everyone listening to this podcast, I'd be willing to bet, has a Netflix subscription or, or shares one with a, a roommate or a friend. Um, what I'm really excited about, and this is my teaser, is that on November 12th, this week, when we release this, it'll be tomorrow, right? Disney Plus is launching. Disney Plus is Disney's first foray into the streaming wars, as they've been aptly named. So now we'll have HBO Now, the soon-to-come HBO Max, Netflix, Hulu, the soon-to-come NBC Peacock streaming service, which was recently announced, and will be the exclusive home of The Office, in case you're interested in that. And the perhaps the newest uh, elephant in the room, and I say elephant because Disney is a huge, huge figure here, Disney Plus. So I'm going to be really interested to see how this plays out over the next few years, but the next major phase of this streaming wars start on Tuesday. And uh, for a more practical reason to look forward to that, Disney Plus is going to have a lot of movies and programming on it at launch, and they're doing some They've already released a list of some other programs they're doing, you know, releasing more Marvel movies, for example, on the Disney Plus background exclusively or uh, platform exclusively. And so it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I think it's going to be worth well worth the money to uh, sign up for the program at launch. Um, we will probably be canceling our HBO subscription and going to Disney Plus and sort of switching off on and off for that from time to time just so we don't end up spending $15 more per month on on media. But there's going to be a lot of stuff to access there, a lot of good Disney movies. If you have kids, it'd probably be a good investment for that reason alone. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. And, and I think Disney is really the first major competition to Netflix in this space. So I personally am very excited to see how that duel plays out. Yeah, that's a great teaser. I am also looking forward to it. And I think they're going to have a lot of good original programming as well. So, And if you have kids, I think I mentioned they're going to have every episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, which my son 
is very into. So that'll be good. <laughs> there you go. All right. My teaser for this week is a movie that I just saw. It is a movie called Parasite. It is by a South Korean director named Bong Joon-ho. It is his seventh feature film. I don't want to say too much about this movie because I think if you're going to see it, that you should go in not knowing much about it. But I would, what I will say about the movie is that Bong Joon-ho as a director has a very precise idea of what he wants to do on screen. And it seems like he executes that exactly as he wants. So basically at its core, it's about class struggle in South Korea. It's a foreign film, so there are subtitles if that's not your thing, but it is very interesting. And if you, you may have seen some of his other films on Netflix, he did a movie called Snowpiercer. He did a movie called Akja that came out last year. Those are both English language films or at least partially English language. This one is entirely done in Korean, but I thought it was fascinating. And it, I think it's one of those movies that I'm going to think about for a little while. So it's out in theaters now. It's not a huge, huge wide release, but it is in most major theaters. You could probably find it in your town. I definitely recommend seeing it. And I think it will be an Oscar contender this year based on everything that I've read and listened to on other podcasts. All right, Zach, that will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. It was fun. All right, we'll be back next week with a new episode. We'll talk to you then. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash poppedcast. We would love to hear from you. You can also reach us by emailing thepoppedcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe, rate, and review our show on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.